please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7 this morning as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. We will be looking at this chapter in its entirety. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with it. Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we pray that you would help us through it as we come to parts of it that are familiar to us, as we come to parts of it that are unfamiliar to us, we ultimately realize that all of it is what we struggle with only because we struggle with obedience. We struggle with your character many times because we see ourselves as right and we see your word as wrong. And so, Lord, we pray, first and foremost, that you convict us of that sin, that we would be shown from your word why we ought to worship you, and how we ought to worship you, and how we ought to obey you. Show us this morning from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage and began studying for it, it made me think of a phrase that we often use in our own language called feeding the beast. Whereas the beast is some sort of besetting problem in our lives. It could be a difficult or abusive relationship. It could be a, an addiction or any number of different things that, are, that could be happening. This beast that we are feeding and rather than free ourselves from it, we continue to nurture it. Rather than give up the addiction, for instance, we continue to nurture it, growing it, making it worse than ever. The beast eventually gets so big that it's uncontrollable. It's seemingly unstoppable. You've probably had this in your own life to one degree or another, and you've probably seen it in someone else's. And I totally understand that these things aren't as simple as just stop it. That would be easy, right? If we could just tell someone to stop and they would just stop and then we'd be all set and done. Answers would be easy, but they aren't. These kinds of relationships and vices take lots of time and lots of truth. I've counseled for hundreds of hours over the years as a pastor and I've seen lots of things and lots of different solutions and the solutions can be complicated, but they always involve heavy doses of God's word. In our text today, King Ahaz has a kind of a, that kind of dilemma in front of him. And it's really more of a question of which beast do I feed? There's seemingly no right answer for him in our text today until, of course, Isaiah shows up with a word from the Lord with the right answer. And we'll see that the path, of Ahaz, the path that Ahaz chooses is many times the path that we choose, sadly. The many times the path that we choose away from the truth and toward the beasts that would eventually destroy us. Today's passage also contains one of the most important and well-known prophecies in all of Scripture, the prophecy of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll look at all the ins and outs of that and how, once again, Scripture presents us with this idea of an already not yet, which we've talked about, that kind of idea that comes along with prophecy many times. So as we look at this passage, I want to consider three main ideas from the text. The choice of Ahaz, the coming Emmanuel, and the sovereign Lord. So with that, let's look at the text. Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Please stand with me 
in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 7, starting at verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go and meet Ahaz, you and Shearjazub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps and the fire of firebrands and the fierce anger of Rezin of Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabal as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of our Lord your God. Let it be as deep as, deep as shale or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you? To weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whisper for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. And in that day they will shave, or in that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of, his, of the feet, and will sweep away the beard also. And in that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that he gave, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. As for all the hills that used to be to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, that they will become a place where cattle let loose and where sheep tread. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So... Keeping your finger there in Isaiah 7, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 16. We'll have a little catch up on the history of what's going on here. 
2 Kings chapter 16. Remember last week we ended chapter 6 which was in the year King Uzziah died and so we've, we've had a couple of things happen since then. In 2 Kings chapter 16 starting at verse 1 we read this. And that's 1 Kings. That would be a completely different section. In the seventeenth year of, of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could not conquer him. At the time, or at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath, and the Edomites came to Elath where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir and killed Rezin. So, this kind of spoils the surprise, I guess, of what's going to happen. Ahaz is an evil man. And the only reason he's leading Judah is because he was kind of born into it. Israel and Syria realize that Assyria is very powerful and they're sweeping through the countryside and they needed to stand up against this juggernaut called Assyria and so they're going to put aside their own differences and they're even going to go to Judah the southern kingdom and they're going to ask Judah hey we should all join together and fight against Assyria Judah says no they're not going to do that so Israel and Syria do the sensible thing of course and they begin fighting a war on two fronts they attack Judah they hope that they could somehow depose Ahaz, as we read there in Isaiah chapter 7, and kind of put their own puppet king in his place. Then maybe they would have enough to stop the onslaught of Assyria, which probably wasn't going to happen anyway. And so what does Ahaz do after he is attacked by this coalition between Syria and, and Israel? He goes to Assyria and asks for help. That's pretty strange, is it not? Can you imagine going to one enemy and asking for help from another enemy? History is full of those kinds of stories. Feeding the beast. Kind of like the time that we helped Russia beat Germany, only to find out that Russia was really bad too. We probably should have just not saved them. But anyway, and for Judah, this was the beginning of the end. Because if you keep reading there in 2 Kings 16 and forward several chapters, you will read that... If that was bad. They continued to be bad. In the end, the temples were full of idols to Assyrian gods. Ahaz even ends up sacrificing his own son, as we read. And none of that works. 
None of it does. Assyria eventually wrecks Judah as well. And so all of that for nothing. But before all that happens, Isaiah is summoned here to help Ahaz. Perhaps he can prevent all of this history from happening by making the right decision. The Lord even asked Isaiah to bring his son along, which is going to play a very important role in this. And so that brings us to the first point, the choice of Ahaz. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So notice how Ahaz, the mighty king, and the people of Judah react when they realize that there's this whole team that is teamed up against them. They panic. And if Judah were hoping to be able to look to its strong leader in this time of need, they would be uh, found wanting there because he was panicking as well. And so what does Ahaz do? Well, the Lord tells Isaiah, go find him by this water supply. What is Ahaz doing? He's checking the water supply of the city to make sure that there's enough water for the coming siege. That's where God tells him you can find him. And we see that in verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, go to meet Ahaz, you and Shearjazu, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, the highway of Washer's Field. And he takes his son, Shearjazu, whose name literally means a remnant shall return. More on that later. And note the message that he has for Isaiah, verses 4 through 7. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. And then he goes on to talk about what's going to happen to them. That they have devised evil. But thus says the Lord there in verse 7. It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. These things that Israel and Syria hope to do against you shall not come to pass. So be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. We've already noticed that Ahaz is having trouble doing these simple instructions from the Lord. So Isaiah comes to him with a choice. Though it may not seem that way. Look at verse 9. If, and they're at the end of verse 9. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. What is he saying here? Go back to the instructions there at verse 4. If you trust in the Lord, all will go well. That doesn't mean that there won't be some suffering. Because there will be. But it does mean that the Lord is in control. If you just keep reading, we see that the Lord is definitely in control. But if you aren't careful, if you aren't quiet, if you do fear, and if you do let your heart be faint, you will not be firm at all. So don't miss this, because we know the choice that Ahaz makes. We just read it. He chooses to go with Assyria, the beast itself. 
He chooses to feed the beast, the gold of Israel. Even begins worshiping its gods. The beast goes off to destroy Judah's attackers, of course. He has this temporary relief because that's what beasts do. They only destroy things. But eventually, what does Assyria also come destroy? Judah. The problem with a beast like Assyria, it's never satisfied. It must always be fed. And when it's fed, there will always be punishment. Every time. Ahaz will eventually experience this. Judah will experience this. Ahaz, or Assyria basically falls just short of completely destroying Judah and Jerusalem, which we'll talk about in a later text. We'll see that happening as well. But for now, Ahaz is given the opportunity to run to the Lord of salvation. The Lord that whistles and the nations come. He's given the choice, come to me, do not fear. But what does he do? He goes to Assyria instead. Hopefully you see that we aren't off the hook here at all. We all have that thing that we trust rather than God to save us, to give us relief from stress or conflict of some sort. Just search the two words opioid crisis if you don't believe that to be true. If you want to read the full depths of all of the ways that Americans will seek relief from difficulty... Many have turned to things like prescription painkillers to take care of life's difficulties for them. Just talk to someone who's addicted. Ask them how that's going. That beast is fat and healthy. Alcohol. That beast has been at it for years, along with all other types of drugs. Pornography has its tendrils in almost everything. Can't even go to a news website without seeing someone who has very little clothes on. Obesity is another epidemic because food is such a comfort for us. It's not just energy, but it's a comfort. It's a release from the hard things of the day or a reward for making it through the day or both. We could make this list very long. We could just keep going with all of our vices. We have... Those things that cure us for the short term. But what do they leave us with later? Regret. More fear. More need. More need for comfort. So we go to the beast yet again and feed it. What's the main application? Go to verse 4. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Trust in the Lord. Not the beast that you fed until it's fat. The Lord alone can deliver you. Fear Him. Obey Him. Trust Him. And many times, this trust in the Lord doesn't yield this right now feeling of comfort that we definitely need. Just like a milkshake makes us feel better for the time being, does it not? But that trust in the Lord never comes with the regret of thinking, Oh no, what have I just done? For Ahaz, the name of Isaiah's son is really a prophecy in and of itself. A remnant shall return. And if you're Ahaz, this is a double-edged sword. You, Ahaz, could be among that remnant if you trust in the Lord. Or you could be among the many who aren't if you aren't firm in the faith. Either way... Shear Jezub is a warning in his name. Trust in the Lord. 
you will remain. Trust the beast, you will be devoured. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a remnant shall remain. We, weren't, we learned that last week in Sunday school. Did we not? All those that the Father draws to himself, he will raise them up on the last day. They will persevere. All those who are truly his will persevere to the end. Through every hardship, through every difficulty, trust in the Lord. A remnant will remain. And if you trust in him, he promises you that you are indeed part of that remnant. But if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Brings me to the second point, the coming. Emmanuel. Look with me at verses 10 through 12. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So the Lord comes to Ahaz, wants to give Ahaz a sign. He wants to give Ahaz a sign for faith. He wants to help Ahaz to see that he is going to do the thing that he says he's going to do. It didn't matter what the sign was, notice. He said, let it be as deep as shale or the grave. Let it be as high as heaven. Basically, what is the Lord saying? Nothing is too much for you to ask of me. Ask and you shall receive. And what does Ahaz say? No, I don't want to ask. No, I don't want a sign. Man, can you imagine that? Be real quick for us to not put or to for us to put ourselves above Ahaz here, but let's be careful there. It should remind us of the end of chapter six that we talked about last week. Hearing but not understanding, seeing but not perceiving. The heart of the people are dull. The heart of Ahaz was dull. The Lord himself comes and says, do you want a sign? And Ahaz says, no, I've got it. Pretty incredible. He refuses a sign from the Lord himself. So rather than giving Ahaz a clear sign from heaven, we don't know what sign the Lord would have given Ahaz, but he does offer him a sign indeed. And it's a little more veiled. Verse 13. And he said, this is Isaiah speaking, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah hears this refusal and equates it with wearing God out. Kind of like the person that you're trying to help repeatedly but continues to refuse it in this bid for false humility. You know Ahaz needed some help, yet he refused it because of his pride. Read several places in Scripture what comes after that. The fall. So the Lord offers Ahaz a sign. Though it won't be something that will make sense to him right then. Verses 14 through 17. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not been since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Syria. The virgin shall conceive a child. You shall call him Emmanuel, or the Hebrew for God 
with us. We know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this text points to our Lord Jesus. There's no dispute, absolutely none, there. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, from this passage, we are left with no doubt, absolutely, Isaiah 7 is connected to Jesus Christ. The Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ. The only people who dispute this are people who dispute the Scriptures as a whole and ultimately have their dispute with the God of the Scriptures whom one day they'll meet. God with us, in this sense, is one of deliverance from ultimate enemies, sin and death. Though Jesus would be born under Roman rule and die on a Roman cross, Rome was but a pawn in the grand scheme of things. The enemies Jesus came to defeat were real enemies, not Rome. The ones that only God could deal with. And he did so by coming to his people, God, with us. However, that being said, there is a sense in which there is a fulfillment in the coming days for Isaiah and Ahaz and all of Judah. Isaiah's wife would have another son and will meet him in chapter 8. And before he knows how to choose evil for good, what does this mean? Meaning... That before he is old enough really to know right from wrong, basically while he's, while he's still a young kid, the two nations that came after Judah would be gone. Israel and Syria would both be destroyed by Assyria. Now, we can't be for sure that Isaiah's son in chapter 8 is the one that's being referred to here, or is it another unnamed son? Again, we have no way of knowing that but we what we do know this was a very real fulfillment in the days of Ahaz and Judah they would see Israel and Syria fall the Lord would bring upon Judah the same fate Assyria was coming and it was the Lord with them God with us for Judah on those days not as deliverer but as judge 
Again, we don't know for sure. There's lots of commentators who have talked about many different things, but most of them land where I have talked about this, and I believe that's kind of where I'm landing as well, at least this week. The current sign of judgment for future, the current sign for them is judgment. But the future sign of the Emmanuel will be what? Deliverance for the people, but judgment for one, the Son of God. As the Son, the true Emmanuel, he will take punishment due for his people upon himself. God with us takes on a very different meaning there. As God with us became God for us. God the Son crushed by God the Father so that God the Spirit can begin the work of seeing the kingdom of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to earth. And we, church, want to trust in someone else. Let us cling to more closely to Jesus Christ, who is God with us right now, right here in us, working in us and for us, for his glory and our good. And that brings me to the final point, the sovereign Lord. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. In that day the Lord will whisper for the fly that is, in, that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and settle in the steep ravines and in the cliffs of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. Pretty interesting uh, word pictures here. Notice that the nations of the world are now insects that the God of the world whistles for, and they listen to him. His own people are compared to unwanted hair on someone's feet or unwanted hair on someone's face that he uses the razor, Assyria, to shave off. Verses 21 through 25 talk about the kind of what those days are going to be like, eating curds and honey, which are, are foods that people in desperation are eating. And the, the vineyard is gone, which reminds me there of chapter 5 of Isaiah's. The days following the Assyrian invasion in the south are going to be very hard. I want to focus mainly on what we just read from 18 through 20, however. Because we worship a God that is so far beyond the way that we normally think of him. The nations of the world, all the people in those nations, all the ways that those civilizations have been brought up from nothing, they are but pawns for him to accomplish his purposes. History is this malleable kind of clay that he has made for himself, shaping a timeline to fit his plan and his design. Psalm 90, which Todd read from this morning, hits on a lot of that. Yet all the while, he has preparing a people for himself. And we are numbered among them. And before you get too big-headed about that, it wasn't because we were somehow worthy. It wasn't because we somehow stood out among all the other people, among all the other nations of the world. We just as easily could have been those Assyrians. Or anyone else. In fact, we are as undeserving as any other person. There is nothing 
that made you and I stand up before him except for the fact that he chose us from the foundations of the world to be his. Out of one side of our mouths, we shout, Hosanna, God save us. Just like those people there on Palm Sunday. On the other side of our mouths, we said, nope, I can save myself. I don't need one of your silly signs, Lord, just like Ahaz. Yet he called us to be his own. And he came, God with us, to save us. And he's still God with us. He's still God for us against all of our enemies for his own glory. So brothers and sisters, in conclusion, let us not feed the beast. Let's not feed the enemy that would destroy us. Those things that we cling to rather than Jesus Christ. Instead, let us cling alone to Jesus Christ our Lord who came to us to save us. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we pray to you this morning, we recognize our own unworthiness before you. We are like dust blowing in the wind. We are like the chaff that would blow away, worthless. But yet you, in your grace and your mercy, chose a people for yourself. And it makes no sense to us, but for whatever reason, you, that was how you planned it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, your people, that you protect, that you care for, that you intercede for even now at the right hand of the Father. We pray that you would help us to live as we ought to live, that we would not make the mistakes that we are reading about in this book, but yet instead we would glorify you and you alone, and we would tell others to do the same also. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.